Amen. What an incredible hymn and beautifully played beautifully. Wow. Speak, O Lord. Um, great, great truth. We do want him to speak to us. And now as we turn to the word of God, we invite him, we invite the Holy Spirit who wrote the word, authored the word, to now search the recesses of our heart and our mind and our lives to bring glory to Jesus as he strengthens and he comforts us and the Holy Spirit convicts us and challenges us all in, in one text of scripture. And, and so if you would take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We began this series of messages out of the book of 2 Timothy this morning, and um, so many of you have the context in your mind. And, and so let me just briefly take you to the fall of most likely A.D. 67. Uh, Nero, by June 8th, in the year 68, will be dead. And so we know that the Apostle Paul is killed sometime before that, but it most likely is the fall of 67. The Apostle Paul has now been rearrested, and he has been brought to Rome, and probably in such haste that he left his cloak and his books and his parchments elsewhere, and he's cold. He's uh, being treated as an evildoer, we saw from the text this morning. Most likely is in some type of dungeon or prison. That is a very, very a difficult circumstance. It might be the Mamertine prison, we don't know. But if it was like that, it would be a place deep underground in Rome, above, below the street level, maybe with the sewage of Rome running by it. And then as you saw this morning or heard this morning, maybe a door would open and sewage would sweep in and take all those prisoners out and take their bodies away and the door would close and more prisoners would come in. And it would most likely be a miserable and a damp and a cold and a, a really a frightening experience. This, for God's choice servant... It was the will of God that Paul would suffer, even at the very last days of his life. Here, this man who did three missionary journeys established churches all across Galatia, all across Macedonia, and um, all across uh, Asia. Just incredible uh, what, this, what this man did. And yet, what could he say? He could, he could write a letter to his personal friend, Timothy. And this, by the way, this letter is so personal. Um, there's much theology in it, but it's, it's so personal. I think there's 22 different names Paul mentions in this one book. People's names, because relationships are so important to him. And he listed 22 people. Do you know that for Timothy? He is mentioned in 10 out of 13 of Paul's books. So what a close relationship he had with Timothy. Here's the problem with Timothy. Timothy is, is timid. He, he is full of, of fear, and he, he doesn't necessarily want to continue on in the ministry. He's got great opposition. He's ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that next Sunday morning in, in that text. He's not only ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, he's also ashamed of Paul being in prison. And if he stands up and identifies with Paul, then, then Timothy would go to prison and most likely lose his life. The, this is a big issue. If you're, if you're going to live for Jesus in those days, you might very well be put to death soon. And so it was a big decision. It wasn't something you just did haphazardly. Serving Christ was your whole life. And, um, but we see other things about Timothy, and, um, and, we, and we looked at all those this morning. So here's the text from the morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is a sent messenger of Jesus, but by the will of God, not just by the command, but by the will. And whatever happens to Paul's life, it is part of God's will and plan for him. The suffering, the great joys, the poverty, the abundance, all of it was in God's will. 
And it's according to the promise of life. Timothy needed to hear that God is a giver of life. And if God makes a promise, he will fulfill it. Timothy, having identified with Jesus, must do the same thing. He must fulfill his, his call to, to serve Jesus with his whole life. And then verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. Timothy needed to hear that he was loved and, and cared for. I bet this gave him great encouragement. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, Paul begins his uh, thanksgiving to God. I thank God, even in the midst of this dungeon and, and, and expecting uh, death by execution at any, at any moment, he can still say he thanks God. And then he identifies, remember from the morning, whom I serve with a pure conscience. Not only is he full of gratitude, but he's full of worship. The word serve is literally meaning an act of worship. It's giving full allegiance, full loyalty to, to Jesus Christ. I thank God whom I serve, and it's done with a pure conscience. Nothing between him and other people that's left unresolved, nothing between him and his Savior. He has a clear conscience before God and before man. What a great way to serve the Lord. And then he says this, as my forefathers did. And he reali- Paul realizes he just, he's not this great big shot in the, in the Christian faith. He is simply one of a line of genuine believers from Adam and Eve all the way down to the last. He's just one in a line. And just as the forefathers served God with a pure conscience, so Paul can say, hey, I've stood up and I've run my race. I've fought the faith. I, I've, I've fought the fight and I've kept the faith. In the, in the same manner, he's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, you are just one in a line of successive um, believers in Jesus. You need to continue on. You need to finish your fight and stand up for Jesus. Listen, that torch has been passed on to us. And what will we do with it? I will tell you, most churches in our area and most churches in our country are not proclaiming the gospel. They're not serving with, uh, they're not loyal and allegiant to Jesus Christ. Um, boy, we need men and women that will stand up. And fill in that gap. Then he says, As my father, forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Timothy was, for whatever reason, uh, at, their last, at their last time together, um, weeping, maybe over ministry, maybe relationships, maybe um, Paul's departure, and he is now facing persecution, and, he, and he's not sure if he can handle it. But regardless, um, he, he, has, he has great tears. And Paul says, hey, I want to see you that I may be filled with joy. And then verse 5. Here's where we left off this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we begin to look now at this text, five verses 5, 6, and 7. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take this text, bring it to light, bring it to understanding, help us to apply it and, and to, to leave change, not to be content just with, with being where we're at and, and who we are. We want to be changed more into the image of Christ. We want to be more submissive, more yielding. We want to have a greater love and a greater passion for Jesus. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's no fear. There's no um, cowardice. But there's, but there's bold living, not only full of power, but full of love and, and an accurate assessment of what you're doing in our life. And so, Father, I pray that you would use this text. Help us to rem- remember these things all of our days. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Well, we're going to finish up verse 5. That was this morning's text. And then verse 6 and 7, there's one point for each verse that I'd like to share with you. Looking at verse 5, Paul, as he's thinking about Timothy and about Timothy's life, he now is going to just remind Timothy that Timothy is also a genuine believer. Here's how he says it. Verse 5, 
he's being, he's um, greatly desiring to see Timothy and praying for Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Listen, Paul is, he's, he wants to be so encouraging. You know, Timothy is afraid. He's afraid to stand up. He's afraid to talk about Jesus. Paul says, listen, Timothy, I know you. I know you. I've walked with you. We've um, taken missions trips together. We've interacted and we've talked for years. Timothy, I, I am fully persuaded that the genuine faith is in you. Listen, genuine faith. The word genuine, it means unhypocritical. A hypocrite was uh, an actor on the Greek stage who would wear one mask for one play or one part, and then he would quickly go over and put another mask on. He was always wearing a different mask. You could never tell who he really was. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, your faith is not like that. You don't say one thing and do another. You are genuine to the core. What you say is what you're living out. I've watched it in action. What you believe about Jesus has flowed out into your whole life and affected all your relationships. Take your Bibles. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Five years before Paul writes this in, in 2 Timothy about Timothy's genuine faith, here's what he said about Timothy to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to ask you do, you, do you just evidence genuine faith? I mean, Clearly, everybody can say, wow, this person is marked by faith in Jesus Christ. It is unhypocritical. It is genuine. It is authentic. It is real. Philippians chapter 2. Paul, of course, is in prison in Rome, but this time he was in a rented house back in the early 60s. He really wants to find out how the Philippians are doing. Who is he going to send? I mean, Paul would love to get on a horse and go to Philippi, a long distance away, and check everything out face-to-face, eye-to-eye, but he can't. He's, he's in prison. He thinks, the only person that I can send is one who is just like me, Timothy. Verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. See, Paul, he wanted to know, how are the Philippians doing? What was their faith like? What was their church like? I can't be there. I'm going to send the very next best thing, somebody just like me, Timothy. So do you see, he, he knows Timothy has a genuine faith. He, look what makes his faith. Verse 20. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. One of the things that marked out Timothy's genuine faith is his like-mindedness with Paul. Like, really, like-mindedness with Christ. He was concerned about the health of the church. He was concerned about the believers hearing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and growing in sanctification. Paul said, of all my companions, there's only one that I can trust that when he goes to Philippi, he'll really be concerned about the spiritual state of believers. I'm going to send Timothy. Listen, part of our genuine faith, our, the reality of it, is we are concerned about people's souls. We want them to grow in Christ if they're a believer. If they're not a believer, we want to, get them, we want to see them saved. We don't get them saved. We want to see them saved. But we should be so concerned about each other's spiritual welfare. How are we doing? Are we being fed the word of God? Are we living it? Are we living in sin? Do we need a friendly rebuke? Do we need a, accountability? I mean, what do we need? Timothy, Paul says, Timothy's going to show up, and he's so like-minded. I know he's going to care for your, your, your soul. He's going to sincerely care for your state. Look at the second thing, verse 21. For all, all men seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So not only is, um, not only is Timothy deeply concerned about the Christians in Philippi, 
But Paul knows when Timothy shows up to Philippi, he's going to be thoroughly consecrated. Paul says, all the people I know, they seek their own things. They're concerned about their own interests, how much money they have in the bank, how much free time they have, what they can do with this, what they can do with that. Timothy, he's not concerned about those things. Paul says, all, for all, all men are concerned for their own, not the things that are of Christ Jesus. He goes, I know, Tim, I know Timothy. He's concerned about the things of Jesus. Wow. I mean, do you want to be marked by, by faith that says, wow, this person is intensely committed to Jesus Christ? They have this love relationship and this commitment and this devotion to Jesus that stands out above all earthly things. Third thing, verse 22. And you know his proven character. His character had been tested and it came forth shining. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul says this man is committed to ministry. He's committed to service. I know when I send Timothy, he's going to take care of your spirit. He's going to take care of your souls. He's going to be watching over your spiritual state. I know that he's not going to be seeking his own interests, but he's going to seek after the things of Jesus Christ. And I know he's going to serve you. He's going to minister to you because every time I was with him, that's what we did. And I know if I send him, it's like sending me. That is genuine, real faith. Listen, those things should mark us all out. We should be thoroughly consecrated, fully committed, and we should be deeply concerned about people's spiritual state. I mean, that is the most important thing is, is if you're a believer, going to heaven with great reward. It really is. It's the greatest thing. Um, I'll tell you, too many people waste their life. They waste their earthly life, and at the end of their life, they look around and they say, I lived for myself, and now I'm going to meet Jesus. Wow. Um, the weeping at the, at the reward seat of Jesus, we don't know. I mean, I will be weeping at the reward seat of Jesus, saying, oh, if I could go back to earth one more time and do it right, now that I know, I would do it. But you only gave me one life, Lord, and I used it. I already used it up. Well, let's go back to 2 Timothy. Paul's remembering all these things about Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I remember that you have genuine, authentic, you have the real thing. You have the real faith. But this faith was also in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice. What makes a man like Timothy? Listen, he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. Lois and Eunice, two ladies I want to meet when I get to heaven. Can you imagine going up to Lois and saying, Lois, tell us what it was like as a grandma. And you had little Timothy as a little baby. And you sang to him songs of Jesus. And, and, and Eunice, when you were raising your boy up, and you would... Sing him the Psalms of the Old Testament. And then as he was getting older, you would whisper him the prayers of Moses. And then you would teach him about all the attributes of David and Joshua and all the men of faith. And you took the prophets and you let, you let him experience the prophets through the pages of Scripture. And then you, you taught him to instill in his life all those characteristics of a man of God. Listen, you know, Timothy was really shaped and fashioned by the influence of his mother and grandmother. It appears his father was not saved. We don't know, but his father's not mentioned in that regard. Go with me over to chapter 3, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. And that from childhood... Well, let's start in verse 14. But you, Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned. Don't quit. Don't give up. You must continue in these things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood... You have known the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, the influence and the impact of a godly mom and a godly grandmother as he learned the scriptures and he learned how to, how to be a man of God. There is no greater treasure. Listen, the, it is a high and a holy calling, I think mother, motherhood is. Um, and I think we see this in this example here. Really, it's twofold. These godly moms and, and this godly mom in the scripture was to, to give the child a home of faith, right? To make the home a solid, stable fa- uh, place to learn the faith, but also to make faith home in the child, to be able to teach the child about faith in Jesus at an early age and what just character and, and the men and women of God that, that, that God greatly used. No greater blessing. I think, I think uh, Grandmother uh, Lois and Mother Eunice were saved before the Apostle Paul ever got around. And most likely, I mean, there's no clear evidence that Timothy was led to the Lord by Paul. It says he was already a disciple in Acts 16 when Paul showed up. So we're not sure who led Jesus, but most likely from this text, sounds like the mother and the grandmother had great influence in this godly young boy. And he grew up to be a, a heart, having a heart for Jesus. One of the great men of the New Testament is Timothy. So let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, I can recall, Timothy, your like-mindedness and your commitment to, to the, the spiritual state of other believers. You just demonstrate genuine faith. But it first dwelt, it made its home, its residence, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And, Paul says, I'm, I'm persuaded and it's in you also. All right. So now, let's move on to the next two things. Verse 6. There's a therefore. Starting in verse 6, he begins to change his tone. He's now going to challenge Timothy based on Timothy's genuine faith and his need to be one of the faithful men of God throughout all of history. He's going to do it by doing this. Beginning in verse 6 all the way to verse 18, three times he says, do not be ashamed, do not be ashamed, do not be ashamed. Our whole text is going to roll around for the next couple of weeks or actually next couple of services. This phrase, do not be ashamed. And what, Tim, what Paul's going to do is, Paul's going to say, Timothy, I'm going to, I'm going to offer you some things so that you can fulfill your ministry and you can run your race to the very end. First, number one, verse six, rekindle your gift. Rekindle the gift of God that lies within you. Here's how he says it. Therefore, because of your genuine faith, which dwells in you as it did your grandmother and mother, and, and um, he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, of uh, my hands. All right, a couple interesting things about this. Listen, we, with our thermostats and our, all of our furnaces, unless you have a wood stove, um, this is kind of always hard to picture. But for me, from October until now, unless we're out of town for more than, uh, for more than a day, uh, there's always coals in, in, my, in my wood, wood box. There always is coals. I rarely ever have to even fan the flame. I just keep throwing wood on the fire, right? This is the idea. The idea is, for the, for the people living in these biblical times, a fire was important for cooking, for heat, for everything. You would not start a new fire every single day. So if you, you would just keep coals always hot someplace. And then when you needed a fire, you would take the coals out, you'd put some kindling on, and you'd begin to blow and blow and blow, and next thing you know, it would burst into fire. That's the idea. Timothy, you've got the gift of God in you. It's already been given at your salvation. Now, Timothy, you need to, like, blow on it. You need to get it to kindle into a blazing fire. See, Timothy was at the point where he was 
quenching his gifts. He was saying, I'm not going to use those gifts that God gave me at my salvation. Paul says, Timothy, rekindle these gifts. Get them burning passionately. What we're lacking in ministry is passion. There is passion. We have passion in our jobs. We have passion for sports. We have passion for music concerts. We have passion for everything. But why does it seem that Christian ministry is like the place where no passion exists? There's no enthusiasm. There's no joy. When really, this is the place that the greatest joy and passion should ever exist, is serving our Savior, is doing his will, no matter what, 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 it, what it means. This is the idea. Paul says, I remind you right now, Timothy, kindle this gift of God that was given to you. Now, there's two types of gifts. I think First Peter chapter 4 gives out two types of gifts in the church. There's speaking gifts, and those types of gifts are proclaiming the gospel, preaching the word, teaching the word over and over and over, and also the word of encouragement, exhortation, coming alongside and saying, hey, let's obey the word of God. Let's, let's obey the word of God together, and I'll walk with you in this. Those are speaking gifts. Then there's serving gifts, where you don't have to speak publicly. Or you have to, it's just serving gifts. You're helping others. You're giving your resources. You're caring for others' needs. So there's speaking gifts. and Whatever gifts you might have, you need to take those and get them burning. You need to get them passionately operating in the church. Can you imagine if everybody, that with all of our gifts, the colorful palette of gifts that we have in our church, if everybody was using the maximum capacity, what would be going on? Phenomenal. It really would be. Timothy, rekindle your gift. That's number one. But this gift of God, which is in him, is a gift. It was by God's grace. It was, and then it says, through the laying on of my hands. It's not that Paul laid his hands on and all of a sudden, although it might have been early in the church that way, but I think the idea is, it's kind of like a public statement. Um, the laying on of hands didn't bestow grace. Never does. What it did is it identified a person for a ministry. It's kind of like when the high priest laid his hands on the goat, and symbolically, the sins of the nation went on the goat. It was all symbolism. When Paul laid his hands on Timothy, it was a public thing. And everybody knew Timothy is set apart for ministry. That is a big deal. Now, Timothy is accountable publicly to everybody. He really is. Not only does he have to rekindle his gift, but he has to realize his accountability, accountability now is spread to the church. Um, back in 2001, this church ordained me. Do you remember that whole series of, of things? All the pastors came here. I think we had some 23 pastors and different people up here at the church. And, and uh, when the ordination service or council started, they asked for my doctrinal statement, and I never prepared one. I didn't know I had to have one. I had no doctrinal statement. And then they just asked me and quizzed me after one thought after another, something on theology proper, on bibliology, all of these things, and, and I had to answer them. And then, after that, on a Sunday, there was an ordination uh, service. And men in the church, I don't remember that, men in the church came up here and laid hands on me. It didn't bestow grace, it didn't do anything except to say, the church agrees that I've been set aside for ministry. I am accountable to you for that ministry. I can't let my gifts just lay, um, lay still along the side. I mean, I have to be actively pursuing my relationship with Christ and my relationship to the Word and, and my relationship to you. I mean, that's part of my accountability. We need to rekindle our gift. We need to be stirred up and active and busily engaged in, in God's ministry as uh, Paul now encourages Timothy. And then finally, verse 6, our last, uh, verse 7. So not only does 
Timothy need to rekindle his gift. But verse 7, he has to remember all the resources that were given. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me take you back to the, you know, do you remember when uh, in the scriptures Jesus was being betrayed and then he was arrested and Peter followed after Jesus, close enough so he could see Jesus, but far enough so he wouldn't get in trouble. And he was so captured by fear. He couldn't do anything. And when Jesus looked at him after that rooster crowed, he just burst and wept bitterly. Why? Because he knew. He knew he didn't stand up and he didn't die for the Lord and he didn't, he didn't even acknowledge the Lord. Fear absolutely captured him. This spirit of fear is not of God. So when our ministries are captivated by fear, whether it be the fear of man or the fear of the world, or who knows what, um, you know, the fear of losing ourself and having nothing of earthly stature or possessions, that's, all of those fears, they don't come from God. They come from the devil. They come from our own flesh. God, rather, has given us great resources. So I want you to remember tonight two things. Rekindle your gift. Stir it up. Get involved in using your ministry in the church. And then secondly, consider all of your resources. What three things God has given us? Listen, he has, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's quickly, for the remaining minutes, just talk about this. God has given us a spirit of power. Let me tell you what this power is like. It is not, it's not like healing power where you touch something or you can perform dynamic miracles. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me show you what, the power, what this power is all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The context of 2 Corinthians 4 is losing heart. It's giving up. It's, uh, it's quitting. And Paul says, because we've been given this ministry and we've been given mercy for this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We never quit. So that's the context. I wish we could go through the whole chapter. It is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But verse 7, look at this with me. And we'll do this quickly. But this is talking about a spirit of power. Here's how the spirit of power is evident in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure. The treasure is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel message. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, you know what earthen vessels are. Earthen vessels are easily broken and easily replaceable. They have, they, are, they have not much value in themselves. If you broke a clay pot in the biblical times, you would use all the broken pieces just to write shopping lists and notes on, and you just throw it in the backyard. You would never take your clay pot and rebuild it and patch it up. And No, just get a new one. I mean, they're, 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 they're worthless. Clay pots, the only value in a clay pot is the service that they render. All right? So why do we have such great expectations on clay pots here? <laughs> right? Because we're all marred with sin. You take the greatest men in the Bible, they are marked by sin because we're just clay pots. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of Jesus in earthen vessels. Why? So that the excellence of the power of God may be from him and not from us. Nobody can go around and say, this ministry is all my doing because it's not. I'm a clay pot. Because I'm a clay pot, then the power and all the glory goes to God because it's God's power. It's of, it's of God and not of us. Here's how he explains it, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, Paul says, yet not crushed. This word hard-pressed, it means to be crowded or pressed so you, that you're not even able to turn yourself. There were times in Paul's life, in his ministry, 
when he could have had a, a spirit of fear. He, he was so persecuted and harassed that he was like, he could not even move his, his body. He was that hemmed in. And then it says, we are hard-pressed on every side, unable to turn, un- unable to take another breath, but then he says, yet not crushed. Isn't that the paradox? We have this priceless, ves- uh, this priceless gift in a useless vessel, and then we're hard-pressed, that's our human weakness, but we're never crushed. That's the power of God. We can always take the next breath. We can always go the next and do the next thing. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. This idea of perplexed, it's human weakness. It means to be bewildered. There were times when Paul did not know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know where to go. He was just beyond himself, completely perplexed. But here is the divine power. He's not in despair. When all resources failed him, God always gave him the way out. So the power isn't like Paul had some miraculous power that God gave him. It was simply Paul said, I can't do anything. I am nothing. You've got to do everything to me. It's got to be your power in this earthen vessel. So do you see when Paul says to Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power? He's not talking some like, and I can like change things. He's saying, no matter what circumstance you're in, if you're perplexed, if you're, hem- if you're hemmed in and you feel like you can't take another breath, he, he says persecuted. It means to be chased or hunted down. You are never forsaken. Persecuted, that's our earthen clay vessel. We are never forsaken. That's God's divine power. He says he was struck down. It's a military term for two soldiers. One who has lost his shield and he has dropped his sword the other soldier would come, the other warrior would come down and knock him and strike him down to the ground. That's the word. It's a military term. Paul says we were struck down many times. But then he says, but never destroyed. That's God's power. So Paul is saying it's not because of my virtuous character. It's not because God gave me some super animal-like strength. That's not the spirit of power. It was humble admission that I can do nothing without God. That's what God has given Timothy. Timothy has to approach his ministry, not with fear of man, not with fear of self-preservation, but simply saying, I am in total dependence of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I can do. But he also has a spirit of love. This spirit of love casts out all fear as well. Here's why. Um, Let's say that I was afraid of the water, and my child falls into the water, falls into the pool, or falls into the lake or something. I will cast off all fear to jump in after that child, even if it means I lose my life, right? You would never just let a child go and fall in the water and drown without you jumping in the water for the love of that child, even if it meant losing your life. That's the spirit of love that God has given us, where we are willing in our ministry to give our life for another because of love, agape love. We will give our life, our all for others. We love God so much that we say, I'm not going to preserve my life on earth. I'm not going to be concerned about this temporal world. Rather, I'm willing to lose it all because my love for you is so great. That's the kind of spirit that God, the, the Holy Spirit, has given us, that we are willing to expend all because of love. And then thirdly, a sound mind. Do you know this word, sound mind? It's only used here in the whole Bible. Nowhere else. It's a very hard word to figure out because its usage is so little. It is used in other Greek places for this. If you were, if you were um, a steward of a house, the manager would say, I want you to inventory everything and always know what I have in the house. 
I'm going to put you over this, and I want you to keep an accurate assessment of what I have, all the resources in my house. If you're in the garage, you're going to know all the tools and everything in the garage. If you're in the kitchen, you're going to know all the supplies in the kitchen. That's the word. It means of having good, sound judgment, of having an accurate assessment. The Holy Spirit has given us not only a spirit of power, meaning in our earthen vessels, we can rely on God's power to do all the work in our life. Not only do we have this spirit of love where we are willing to give our life for others, but we have a a spirit of accurate assessment of what God has for me. I do not have the ability to do all ministries. I need to have an accurate assessment. I need to have sound reasoning as to what I can do. And then whatever I can do, I'm going to do the very best I can. There are certain things you don't want me doing in ministry. I just can't, I'm not, I'm not gifted. I, I don't have it. The things that God has gifted me, I want to have an accurate assessment of all those resources. And then with God's power, balanced out with love, because power without love is uh, devastating in the church. Uh, that's abusive human power. But God's power with his love, with a right assessment of our gifts, that's what God has given us. So use your gifts in the church and rely on all of his resources. Two verses. Rekindle your gift. Consider all the resources God has given you in the Holy Spirit. All right? So then we're going to move on now, and we'll we'll cover some more next Sunday morning. But um, but keep reading chapter 1 and just consider tonight about the gifts that God has given you. Use his power with his love and just rightly assessing your ministries and the Holy Spirit will direct you in all those things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text in, in 2 Timothy as we've looked at Paul and Timothy's relationship. And tonight, just looking at Timothy's genuine faith, I pray for our children as they learn from their moms and dads the gospel and about the character of men and women that you used in days, days long ago that are recorded in Scripture. I pray that our children would rise up to be men and women of God, wholly consecrated to you, evidencing genuine faith. There'd be no hypocritical faith, but it would just be authentic, real faith. And it would show by their their care for spiritual things and not worldly things. And so I I pray for our children. I I ask you to, to raise them up. And I do thank you for all of the moms in our church. I pray just an extra blessing on all of our moms as they teach and train the little ones and the in the ways of the Lord. And I pray for dads as they um, also uh, come alongside and teach and instruct and, and bring about um, good self-control and discipline in the home. So, Father, we, just, we, we give you our homes and our families. And I pray that many Timothys would be raised up in our church um, through the, the intense uh, love and devotion of, of godly parents. And then, Father, we, we do want to rekindle our gift. We, we don't ever want to get sloppy or apathetic or complacent in our ministry. We want to be always on. We want to be eager and ready to serve, full of passion and exuberance, intentionally using our gift in the church. And we are accountable to one another, and I thank you for that accountability. And then, Father, thank you for the resources you've given us in the Holy Spirit. We don't have to have fear or shame about Jesus. We don't have to have fear of self-preservation or or things of this world that we might lose, but rather we just remember that we're earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power of God may be of you and not of us, that you would get all the glory and all the credit. So when we're hard-pressed and perplexed and when we're struck down, we realize that's our human weakness. We trust you to do the delivering and the freeing of despair and, 
and giving us always a way out. That's your divine power. And then help us to love one another, Father, um, with an agape love where we are willing to expend our whole lives for one another. And, and we will give you our whole life, not trying to save it on our own, to save any aspect of our earthly life, but it's all yours. And then give us sound judgment, good reasoning about our assessing of our resources and gifts, and help us to use everything to build up the body of Jesus. Thank you for our church family. I, I just pray that you will bless this church this week, and, and uh, I pray that we would be found faithful until the day of the rapture, or until the day that you take us home, whatever comes first. And may Jesus be glorified in, in all that we do this week as a church family. Amen.